Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 528, NFL Championship Reactions. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank joins us with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Are you uh, are you awake and, and ready here? It's a late night for you watching those championship games. Yeah, the second game wrapped up at around, I guess, 4.30 here. But no, uh, and it, it looked... A.M. Yeah, and it... <laughs> Let's make sure people know that. And it looked for all the world as if it was headed to... I was preparing myself for you know, potentially another 30 minutes or an hour by the time, you know, you, all the formalities associated with overtime and stuff, you could lock yourself in for a while. So I was getting ready for yeah. at least a bit longer. And then I was actually... And we could have recorded right after. That would yeah, have been perfect. We could have been hot Instant off the reaction. <laughs> But I was actually looking yeah. forward to the prospect of overtime. I, I, you know, sometimes you just kind of want it to happen, but as a, as a fundamentally as a neutral, but yeah. Yeah. Did you also kind of want overtime to happen to see if that new rule would get caught up in the the game? Yeah, I mean, the, that's the big... For those who don't know, which is... Actually, I don't know. Did they explain the overtime rules before? No, because no, normally they do like right before it's going, but I guess didn't you know, they realized it might not go. But yeah, Eddie and I have always made the joke that they love to explain the overtime rule. And that's been exactly the same for like 13 years. But this would have been the first opportunity they really could have given you the uh, the new playoff overtime where if a team scores a touchdown, it's not over. The other team can score a touchdown, a.k.a. the Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills. Yeah, rule. basically the Bills rule. <laughs> Fun to, but, but, yeah. And you know, it's the, that's the downside to overtime is you're guaranteed no matter what happens that some people are going to complain that it's somehow unfair on, you know, one of the teams involved that, oh, well, it's a disadvantage now to get the ball first. You know, there'll be all sorts of, no matter what, there's no perfect world. And so there's, there's always going to be people complaining that they've somehow been kind of screwed over by whatever the overtime rules are. Yeah. So I think we'll just do a little quick recap of the games for anyone who maybe didn't see them, which I, kind of strange if you're listening to this and didn't watch the the games but maybe you were with eddie and it was a little too late for that second game but then i also have a bunch of kind of like hot takes overreactions that can really encompass both the the games pretty well and i'll read them and then eddie and i can kind of give our opinion on them but i mean first first game niners eagles i mean i think as soon as purdy got hurt i think it got pretty tough for the Niners and then as soon as <laughs> as soon as then they're now fourth string quarterback yeah. goes out with a concussion it became impossible yeah I think it was over as soon as Purdy got hurt but and what you really saw for all the doubters the kind of Purdy the, like, I'm not fully on I don't think Pur- Purdy is guaranteed to be the next Tom Brady you know there's extremes on this spectrum but for all the doubters who thought that Purdy was just, it's such a great system and he has incredible weapons around him, pretty much any quarterback could step into this Niners team and be efficient. You got to see what a real backup looked like when Josh Johnson came in because he looked uncomfortable. He like he never even you know, he never looked good. Even on completions, he just didn't look as if he was really in control of the situation. There was a, you know, a marked difference between him and, and Purdy. But yeah, as soon as that Purdy injury happened, 
basically two plays. I don't think we even have to talk about that game in any real detail. Two games decided the outcome. One was the decision not to challenge. Two plays decided the outcome. Two, uh, two plays, yeah. Um, the decision not to challenge the catch on the fourth down. On By the Devonta f- Smith. Yeah. And then, on, and then the Purdy injury, which when you combine, when you then see the full kind of replay of the Purdy, the, the forced fumble that where Purdy injures his elbow, he has Brendan Ayuk wide open. So if that play isn't made, it's a touchdown. So, you know, you kind of have that huge swing in terms of potential outcomes. But the only thing that bothers me about that game, I'm sure you're going to poke at it a little bit more over the rest of the podcast. Once Purdy went out, I kind of just accepted that it was game over. You can't be critical really of anyone involved from the Niners perspective. Although I have, I, I, I think Shanahan threw in the towel basically in the second half, but the decision not to challenge when you see a wide receiver make an absolutely spectacular catch and immediately is calling for his team to hurry to the line and snap the ball. Just challenge it in the first quarter. Yeah. Just challenge it. Worst case scenario, you've wasted a first half timeout, which is pretty much meaningless. And you've wasted one of your two challenges, which the situations in which you could challenge two things in a game are so rare. You know, like just challenge it. It was such a huge, yeah. especially because it was on fourth down. If that had been like first down, you maybe argue, well, they're putting a drive together anyway, so who cares? But the fact that you were about to get the ball nearly on midfield in great, you know, versus you were putting the Eagles in a position where they're basically guaranteed to score a touchdown, you have to throw the challenge flag there. Yeah, you know, and the other thing about that is people say they don't want to waste the time out. But they're rushing to the line, and their defense really wasn't set anyway. So you run the risk that even if you waste a timeout in a challenge, that if you don't call timeout right now, they might just score on this next play because your defense has no idea what's going on. So at the very least, it's really not even that bad to just stop the play in general and make sure that now that they've gotten this first down, that they don't just run a play on you and you're not prepared for it and then they score. You know, So I, I don't think I, – I get timeouts can be pretty crucial in – playoff games and things like that. But at the the end of the day, like I think, yeah, I agree with you. Not in the first half, not as much as in the second half. And I think just, you know, to the point I, I, you need to. And the other thing I always think is anytime I see a receiver make a one handed catch as they're going to the ground, I think you almost always challenge it because the way that they look at these rules, like they can still have possession of it, but like if they roll onto it with one hand, you can't have like both underneath things supporting it. So there's a good chance that maybe the ground has some influence on it. So like it, it was weird to me that they did not challenge that. I get it's early, but still, I mean, early plays can have crucial impacts because you know, I, we believe in momentum. So <laughs> No, I disagree with you. The fact that it's early, it's completely the reverse to me. Late in the game, you'd think more about it because you would think, okay, I, get, I lose a timeout. And this might be the, the timeout then. Timeouts increase exponentially in value as the game goes on. The timeout on the, in the first quarter, it's in the, in the first half, they're pretty much meaningless. I mean, yeah, I'm, no, I, I, I'm not, that's not what I said. What no, I'm but saying, you're saying is like, I think because it was early, you should, you should, like you're saying, my point is as it gets later in the game, the part, the, 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 you put more thought into whether or not you challenge it. Yes. I'm saying most people, I'm saying most people say like, it's that early in the game. 
like don't bother challenging it because there's so much game left to be played. Like one play is not going to change a game in the first quarter, but I think like it could, you know, that like just, you shouldn't take that into account just because it's early in the game that it might not have a meaningful impact on the outcome. The fact that it's early means that you have even more incentive to challenge something because in a sense you have far less to lose that if that happens at the beginning of the fourth quarter, you do need to start thinking to yourself of, well, if I'm wrong, then I've lost a timeout. That's not great. But even if I'm right, that timeout might be more valuable than the outcome of winning this challenge. Like you have to start to, there's so many more factors that you then have to throw in depending on, you know, what the score and the situation in the game is. But in, in the first half, I just wouldn't even think about my timeouts. I'd be interested to see what the statistic is on, you know, what percentage of teams finish the first half with a timeout, a timeout or more unused. And I would guess well, it's the- Sirianni makes sure he uses his. Yeah. But even with him <laughs> desperately trying to use them, even then the Eagles still usually finish with one, you know, so they're, I don't know. And I get it. Shanahan said afterwards that the replays, and it's true. It took a while for the replay that clearly showed that the ball moves as he rolls over. It wasn't one of the first sort of handful of replays. So for the ones that were shown in the stadium, there was nothing that clearly. I don't, and even I, the announcers watching it, the first two replays they saw, they both thought it was a catch from those replays. Yeah, although announcers sometimes are idiots. But but, <laughs> but, but yeah, the, to me, it's just the instant reaction of the receiver in particular. Like if I were a receiver at times, I think it would be worth faking that. Like try and get a team to burn a, a challenge in a timeout by pretending you may not have ca- caught it when you are confident that you did. But yeah, I think you have to throw it. I'm also then question, you know, Shanahan's excuse. Well, the first few replays in the stadium, they're guys who that's their job is to really quickly look through those replays and tell him, advise him as to whether or not he's challenged. I'd question what those guys were doing. And you know, going back to your point, maybe you call the timeout anyway just to give your give yourself a chance to set your defense up pr- properly. He could have called the timeout, and then he can throw the challenge flag during that timeout. So he could call the timeout just for sort of tactical purposes, basically, and then give himself and his team time to see more replays. And then when he decides, oh, hey, actually, after 15 more seconds of seeing replays, it looks like this is worth challenging. I'll throw my challenge flag. Now, if we win the challenge, I get my timeout back. So like yeah. there's, it's just really poor from a guy who's supposed to be such a, you know, guru. And I, Shanahan's had a fantastic season, but that was a mishandling of the situation. Yeah. And I think more importantly that that then costs them the game because as he challenged that, then that Brock Purdy play never happens. And that's oh, yeah. the reason they lost that game. Yeah. The that non challenge is the reason they lost that game, hundred percent on Shanahan, and and that they didn't win the Super Bowl this year. There you go. That's it. A one bad non challenge. Uh, you, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into officiating, um, but this was one that sometimes I don't understand how they don't see things. Officials, that fumble by by Purdy when he gets hurt. I I mean, when I saw it, I saw it on my phone sitting on a hockey bench, like 20 feet away, holding like the phone on, like sitting on the side of the bench. And like, it's clear that that ball's out and he punches it. I mean, the fact that they completely missed that. And at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't hurt the Eagles because they scored that touchdown anyway. But the fact that they miss it and 
the Eagles get the ball there as opposed to picking it up and continuing to run. Just the fact, like, I don't, those are the calls I don't get how they don't see something. I don't think that would have impacted, I, like, I don't think the fact, I mean, because the, the Eagles players didn't react like it was a fumble. I mean, I give them credit. They reacted more like it was a fumble than any of the Niners players did. But fundamentally, like when the interception itself wasn't caught, they all reacted as if it was. A, so I don't think like I don't think. Well, the gets, one guy picks it up and starts running. Uh, it's a, how, how many yards do you think he's going to get? Four more? Touchdown. No, come on. Give me a break. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that was inconsequential. But. None, I mean, the criticism you'd have to say is more towards the Niners players who made absolutely no effort to pick the ball up. I don't think they would have got there anyway yeah. because the they heard e- Purdy screaming. The, well, I, the think, Eagles, I think the exact words were, oh, shit, my career's done. <laughs> the Eagles players were best positioned to pick it up anyway. But certainly, I think you can give the officials. I think there was poor officiating in both games. I think they swung the outcome of the second game. The first game was just such a mismatch once Purdy was gone that I still think the officiating was not good. And I think it was 90% in the Eagles favor. And then, so yeah, torn UCL out six months is the report coming out this morning. Well, it depends Uh, on, so if he has Tommy John surgery, which is a realistic possibility, you could be looking at a full year for Brock Purdy. So, but at least six months is the, with a torn UCL. The most frustrated people by all of this. I mean, I think everyone on the from the Niners' offensive perspective has to be frustrated because it just made their jobs pointless. But the Niners' defense, even though the Eagles ended up scoring thirty-one points, played well, and yeah, they held them to under three hundred yards. Yeah, and, and had they the were game, absolutely exhausted. <laughs> had the game situation been different, you know, I don't think the Eagles score thirty-one points if Purdy is healthy the whole game. If you see what I mean, like it. Then the Niners' offense has the ball for longer periods of time. It puts more you – know, the field position shifts in terms of when the Eagles are getting the ball, and also it puts a little bit more pressure on the Eagles. You know, they, they basically, in the second half, had nothing to worry about. The only thing they had to worry about was not getting injured and probably not giving away any plays that they might want to save for the Super Bowl. You know, like those are, yeah. the, those are the only two things they had to worry about. Yeah, the Eagles had possession for 38 of the 60 minutes. So obviously you're looking at a pretty exhausted defense, one, but also two, as you're saying, they're just getting more opportunities to score because the Niners offense is pretty much just punting every every series. Um, but I, I, yeah, this is this. I'll tell you what, this is a best case loss scenario for you because you can go into the offseason thinking the Niners are still the best team. I'm still going to have to hear you. If, if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, you're going to at least once drop the best team in the NFC didn't even win the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, no, I won't say that. But honestly, I, I mean, I think that overall, all around, the Niners remain the best team in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. You literally no. just fucking said it 10 seconds after. <laughs> but I'm not going to say when the, when or if the Eagles win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to claim that, like, the best team in the NFC. I think the disappointing thing from my perspective is I then watched that second game and had the Niners won that first game and been healthy. You know, there's no Purdy injury. There's none of that. And then I'd seen what I saw in that second game. I would have been... Here we go. I would have just been looking forward to that defense just shutting down either of the teams that they were about to go up against in the Super Bowl. But not the defense that took out two quarterbacks. 
<laughs> well, I mean, we'll get, we'll get on. I, I mean, we're not going to use this this episode for a Super Bowl preview, right? We'll, we'll, that might be hinting at what my thoughts are as to what I think could happen in the Chiefs-Eagles game. Uh, and then we get on to the second game, which you know was a closer game, but still I don't think was of the caliber that I was expecting a Bengals-Chiefs AFC championship to be. At times it was a little flat, and at times it picked up. You know, like there were certain drives where something would happen, like that T. Higgins touchdown. You know, you saw that, and you're like, "Oh, here we go." Now it's now it's kicking up a notch, and then it would like die down a little, and then you know, a, a good like it just wasn't consistently great football. Um, it was very choppy, and I think part of the reason it was choppy was the refs were kind of just fucking that game up in in the sense of just like random stoppages and taking 20 seconds to to like make a penalty every penalty was like a discussion because they couldn't hear each other so it, it was just very choppy of a game but i uh you know i'm gonna say mahomes was pretty amazing in the fact that i still don't i still don't know if i believe now that he has a high ankle sprain it just nope. doesn't make sense to me don't, i don't how believe good it. he looked like, i don't I believe don't it. get it <laughs> if, if there's the but, michael jordan flu game conspiracy theories the Mahomes, the only thing is there that's the gonna, high ankle sprain Mahomes conspiracy theory. The only thing that's going to save him having the same level of, you know, like 20 years of enduring conspiracy theories is the fact that this was the AFC championship game and not the Super Bowl. Like, if that's the Super Bowl and he plays like that after two weeks of people discussing how he should be out for weeks, there's no way he's going to even be able to run. And then he just occasionally limped. You know, there was the odd play where at the end of it, he kind of looked a little yeah. like walked a little gingerly but 90 percent of the game he looked pretty much fine aside from the fact that he didn't scramble as much as he normally there was would. one there's one play where he rolls out to the left and makes a throw and he like ends up hopping and hobbling after that play and i, I think romo was like oh like jim here we go like looks like he might be hurt this this could affect the rest of the game and the next play it's like the same play and he's not hobbling at all he's yeah. like completely fine no it was <laughs> Yeah, there's a good chance. I mean, it's definitely not a high ankle sprain. He obviously probably has some kind of ankle injury, but I think the severity was overblown. And look, if you're the Chiefs, it's probably the smart move. It probably impacted how the Bengals prepared for that game and certainly what their early game plan was. And they had to make mid-game adjustments in terms of how they were going to, what they expected to see from the, the Chiefs offense. But yeah, I mean, he was... I don't know what percentage you'd say he was at 80 to 90% of his normal self there. And fundamentally that 80 to 90% only impacts a handful of plays. And and you could notice it a little bit, but the fact that he was also says he had no injections, there were like no painkillers at all involved in him playing in that game. There's just no way that the injury was as severe as was first made out. But I will agree with you. It, it's a game that benefits from being close. We've discussed this on a number of occasions, and it's one of my big gripes of people going, what an incredible game. It was a reasonably well-played game, had a handful of very good plays. I would say almost all ex coming from the Bengals, like the, the touchdown to Higgins, the, the fourth down conversion when they had the balls to, to go deep, when I think the majority of teams would have tried to pick up the, the handful of yards that they needed. You know, there were some standout plays there, but most of it just was, 
you know, if that was a regular season, I don't know, Bears versus Lions game, you would have said, hey, a couple spectacular catches, but you didn't miss anything special if you didn't happen to tune in for that one. Yeah, no, I think it just gets the benefit of the doubt because it was on the back end of one of the more boring championship games uh, of, of recent memory. Maybe maybe I've ever seen. Just the fact that like when that Niners game went to half and the Eagles had 21, I honestly knew there was no chance the Niners were going to be able to score 21 points with what they had unless they did something drastic and they decided not to. And in fact, they went the opposite way and put Purdy in to when you knew he couldn't throw the ball. And the one time he threw the ball looked like a person who had never picked up a football before tried to throw it. But he threw so it at that co- point, I don't know why they did that. He, he threw, threw it a couple of, he threw it a couple of times. Yeah. Twice. But no, he could, I mean, he couldn't throw the ball past the line of scrimmage basically. And Look, I think there's going to be a lot of people who've never played football who are going to oversimplify what's involved in like sticking a wide receiver in at quarterback. And I do think they should have just stuck. They should have just run the wildcat or done something a little yeah. bit more creative to try. Like they were never going to win by just running the ball up the gut over and over again because the clock was their biggest enemy. Like even if you take out, even if you can freeze the Eagles offense and say, okay, we're going to get a three and out from the Eagles every time they get the ball from now on, you're just going to run out of time by, you know, they were, they were trying to string together like eight minute drives when they needed to score three plus touchdowns. So it was a little bit as if they would have almost been better immediately punting the ball and saying our best chance of scoring is forcing a turnover and either scoring directly from a turnover or at least giving ourselves such a short field that we have a chance to score quickly. Like I would have, if they had just decided from then on, we're, oh, we've got the ball on our own 30 punt. Let's try and get the Eagles on their own 20 and let's see what we can do. That would have made more that you would have increased your chances of winning more than by deciding to just run the ball hoping to pick up like four or five yards at a time and especially in a situation where the eagles then knew every play is going to be a run yeah. play i mean yeah. i don't know why i even covered the receivers at no. that point <laughs> i mean there's there's it's one thing to you can you can have the most creative run you know calling in the world but once the defense realizes it's definitely a run. We can just stack the box. We know there's going to be no play fake here. There's no threat of anything other than someone kind of taking a handoff and running the ball forwards. You're screwed. And, and I mean, for me, so I had a, a pretty ambitious, I think like seven or eight game, uh, seven or eight play in game part like a one game parlay and one of them was brock purdy to throw an interception oh. and in that second half i was just like throw the ball <laughs> because Man. the one the what the first throw he had was like a wide receiver screen it was like a seven yard throw and it looked like honestly it took four seconds to get to mccaffrey and i was like oh my god if he just makes one more throw it's gonna be picked like he can't physically throw the ball and the rest of the game we were watching it at the bar just like screaming at the tv to just throw throw it every play <laughs> oh is that annoying french guy watching the game <laughs> yeah and instead look his realistic you know not factoring in his stats when he went out but he finished four for four basically with a seven qbr a seven <laughs> no he finishes with a seven 
But at the time he went out hurt, his QBR was 96 or something like that. So yeah, his, yeah I know. <laughs> his, his healthy performance was good. I mean, I think it would have been, it's just a shame whether, not, not from a Niners, but it, honestly, it didn't disappoint me at all because I just accepted the fate. Like it's not even, there's nothing, if you're disappointed about that, it's just an unfortunate set of circumstances, right? But I think whether you're a Niners fan, even if you're an Eagles fan, I think a little bit anticlimactic. Like you want to win. You want to feel as if like getting to the Super Bowl is good, but they won the Super Bowl five years ago. So it's not as if they're trying to end some massive doubt, drought. But, you know, you would have wanted to feel as if, like I think, I'm sure the Eagles, they felt going into it that they were the better team. I'm sure they would have rather, not the players, I'm sure the players too, but like as a fan, I would have rather beaten a healthy Niners and, said like well we're definitively the best team in the nfc not eagles fans <laughs> maybe not <laughs> they're but, as shady as they get <laughs> but you know as a neutral you were everyone was denied yeah. what could have been a really entertaining game and instead it was like watching a preseason game <laughs> uh let's get to some of the hot topics and some of the controversies that's been uh kind of being talked about post these games so we'll go back to the we'll do the chiefs Bengals a little bit more um nfl's rigged I mean, I don't believe it. Obviously, so this we've... is obviously in reference to the officiating and some questionable calls in the Chiefs. Uh, geez, I now I almost said Niners. Chiefs Bengals games. Uh, one being the that third down play where the ref supposedly blew his whistle, but no one heard, and the play went completely like no one was stopping in the play. It completely went, and the the Bengals stopped them. The Chiefs started to bring their punt unit out, and then the refs talked about it and made them redo the third down, which then then got the second time, but eventually ended up punting in that drive anyway. But you could argue that no, momentum it, there it, would have been a big thing. Well, no, no. I mean, there's a little bit more controversy to it. That, so it was third down. They're stopped well short. They were going to punt. They mm-hmm. then, because the clock was allowed to run on the previous down, which meant that the time was incorrect, you had an official who was running onto the field, but seemingly from the replays does not blow his whistle. But he does run onto the field. But by the time he's and anywhere, waves his hands. By the time he's <laughs> anywhere, frantically. he's nowhere near to any players or the play. And by the time he gets like significantly onto the field, the play is over. Technically, now supposedly, what kind of compounded that frustration from a from a Bengals perspective is they don't then get the first down because they get the first down because there's a sack on the play immediately following, and they call holding on a on someone in the secondary on like a, a corner or whatever, whoever it was. So the only reason they get a first down immediately after that is because the refs then throw a flag. So it's the kind of the combination of the two you've given them the, the like fifth down. And then you've also thrown a flag, which you have to say to yourself, it was holding like the, the flag that again gave the chiefs first down is correct. But you'd almost think to yourself, if you were the officiating crew, you would have gathered yourselves together after having this controversial fifth down take place. And you would have said to yourselves, guys, if we are going to throw a defensive penalty on this one, it better be the most egregious, like, in you know, example of an offense that we've ever seen. Because we cannot be giving them the additional down at a 20, you know, when the game is 20 all in the fourth quarter, and then also give them a whole set of downs afterwards. Like I, I think, and you, you want officials to treat each play. This is on. what's great to me is you get angry that officials aren't good, but then you want them in game 
to change the way they make calls based on a previous outcomes. I think, I think we'd be naive if we thought that they didn't. I think in every sport, well, they shouldn't. <laughs> yes and no. I don't know. I uh, part of me wants to think if an official thinks they made a mistake, I actually not that bothered by the idea of evening things up. Like I'm, I, it doesn't Oof. bother me that if you know, like I don't want them to like, I don't want sort of ghost. You know, I don't want some all of a sudden, well, no one even touched the wide receiver and you're throwing a defensive pass interference flag. I'm not going that far. But like, if you think, oh, maybe on that last drive, that was a little bit iffy. That was a little soft. And I threw the flag there. I think you should, I think there's nothing wrong with an official then telling themselves, if I see a similar example going back the other way, I'll throw a flag as well. Because if I've given it, if I've made the mistake, the one way I'm willing to make the same mistake the other way. At least it's consistency, which ultimately I think the only thing that people ever want from officials is consistency. You can be consistent. Yeah, I agree. Consistency. But I, but I think there's a difference between consistency and making up for bad calls with either I, I'm not, further I'm, or non-calls. I'm not implying that they are like, I'm going to do my best here to find like uh, the ability to throw a flag. But I think in, in those circumstances where you, you have just given the chiefs an extra play, I don't think there's anything wrong with the head official saying, right guys, we, we made a mess of that one. Let's just let's let them play on this one. If we really have to do it, but let's let them play. This is because I think the argument is, which I think for most people that would have bothered them in that, particularly in that fourth quarter of that chiefs Bengals game didn't feel like they let the Bengals play does feel like they left let the Chiefs play and that's really the issue I don't think it's rigged the NFL isn't rigged now we we've obviously we've had you know guests on the past to discuss the NBA previously having corrupt uh, (laughs) referees if in the future you told me that one of those that every these are not fully professional officials right like they, these are guys who get paid to, you know, officiate NFL games and have full-time jobs and lives outside of that. They're not paid enough to have that be the only thing that they do. So you're opening yourselves up to the possibility that, yeah, there is a guy who maybe needs a little bit extra money and someone comes to them and says, hey, for $200,000, do you think you can just throw some soft flags on the Bengals? Man, he bites on the first hot take. Look at him. Just changes his tune five minutes into I'm, I'm not saying the NFL is rigged. I'm saying there's a possibility that an official I don't think that game was rigged. But I'm saying to to be to think it's impossible that an official at any moment in time has tried to influence the outcome of a game. I think that's naive. I I will say the comments I've been reading on like Twitter and other outlets that I think were pro Bengals, they aren't, uh, I guess, griping about the uh, delayed hit, not delayed hit, the late hit out of bounds. I think most people agree that that was a penalty. It's unfortunate that a game gets decided because of a penalty. I don't think anyone wants that. But I think that was the right call in that situation that any angle you look at that, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a delayed hit out. It's, it's a hit out of bounds. Like it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be called. Here, here's my issue with it. 
Very similar play happened not long before to Joe Mixon for the Bengals and no flag. And I think the argument from the officials would have been, ah, look, it wasn't, it wasn't a big hit. He just got pushed a couple steps into being out of bounds. That's all that happened to Mahomes. Mahomes sold it really well. He went tumbling. He managed to roll into the bench. Now I also give the Bengals uh, Joseph Osai credit. He managed to try and to try and save himself. Fake his own injury. Fake an injury. His, his <laughs> knee had just exploded. I don't know if that helped him. I almost feel like that made the impact look more severe. Like he, I think he would have been better served. The flag had already been thrown, but I think he would have been better served like popping up and just acting as if that was nothing. But I think the fact is those don't always get called. It's technically by the book. It's the right decision. But you could look back through this NFL season and probably find 50 examples of players getting hit much harder, you know, one or two steps out of bounds and nothing happening. And people saying, well, you know, uh, it's so the game's so fast and he didn't know, you know, like the reason why it's so dumb is Mahomes is obviously going out of bounds. Like it's not one of, sometimes you feel sorry for the defender because they're in a situation where like, well, yeah, he stepped out, but he could have been stepping the other way. And then I get made to look like a fool as Mahomes picks up an extra nine yards and they get the easy field goal either way. There it was like Mahomes is going out of bounds. He has to stop the clock. He has nowhere to go. He's not picking up the first down no matter what. That's what makes it so stupid. Yeah, and it's a shame too because it would have been interesting to see what they would have done because they still had eight seconds, so you figure they have time for one more play. Would they have been able to get enough on that play to still get into field goal range? They would have needed an additional 15 yards to feel like, 10, 15 yards to feel like it was becomes a makeable play. They didn't basically need it because if you then look at how that field now, and Tony Romo pointed it out during the game itself, it's a little simplistic because he tries to kick it further if he needs to kick it further, obviously. He didn't make it with a lot of room to spare in terms of distance. Yeah. So he needed... That would have been a 60-yarder. <laughs> yeah. He, he needed to be like 48 and in probably to really be able to do that in those conditions. But it's just a disappointing way for that game to end with... It was, yeah. I guess, at the same time we would have been in a situation where then people would have been talking about it as an instant classic had it gone to overtime and neither, <laughs> neither of us. So we avoided that. that. Yeah. We got the NFL is rigged, but we, we at least avoided the instant classic. So the next one on that Eddie is, I think a case could be made for when to overlook analytics. And, you know, I'm a big fan of analytics and the drive, the chief drive before that they had the ball third or is it fourth and eight on the Bengals 37 yard line with 230 left now we just said that would have been too far for the field goal because it was they said buckers range for that day with like the temperatures and stuff was probably like 50 and under so it would have been a little far for the field goal but they obviously could have gone for it on fourth and eight on since he's 37 but instead decided to punt the surrender index which is like how wimpy of a punt a punt is at that time was like the 99.999 percent surrender index and it was rated the number one wimpiest punt in the nfl this year so analytics would tell you that was the wimpiest not like thing you could do but yet 
it seemingly works out for them because they do something that no one in the NFL does anymore and directional punt that thing out of bounds at the eight yard line. And then you force the Bengals to try and do a drive with 230 left on their own eight, which works because they punt and they get the ball back and end up winning the game. So is this a case for not to follow analytics or is this just an anomaly that happened to work? <laughs> no, I think they were right to punt and not just because of what the outcome was, but I don't think they, there was nothing from how their offense was working in the second half. There was nothing to indicate that they were going to pick up eight yards. I mean, they just, they were struggling to put drives together. And so you have to read, like, you know, you have to factor in how well or how effectively are we moving the ball. And if they had gone for it and failed to convert, it's pretty much game over because then you're giving the ball to the Bengals on, let's say they pick up the, the best possible outcome for how they fail there. They pick up seven yards. And so then, you know, the Bengals are in a situation where they need 30 yards to attempt a field goal to feel as if, and with all the time in the world to get those 30 yards and also knowing that even if they have a three and out, they're going to be able to punt and pin the Chiefs back themselves. So they kind of get to play not risk-free football, but definitely a very different type of drive to the one they then had to try and construct when they got the ball back. And yeah, we, we often can criticize teams for no longer employing the directional punt. Chiefs actually did it multiple times in that game. Multiple times. And it shows multiple, it's like it's like they tapped into something that no one else knew existed. No. And <laughs> turns out it's smarter. Yeah, it's, it turns out it fucking works. Rather than hoping one someone on your special teams can make a spectacular play to like claw the ball back as it bounces into yep. the end zone. If you if you have a punter who says, I can guarantee this ball's gonna go out between the three yard line and the eight yard line, you should probably do that. And we saw actually there was a few punts this championship, both games, where the punter just decided to drill it as hard as he can right down the middle and over punted his coverage. And the guy was getting like 15, 20 yards of return. Like the fact that they don't directional punt is, is crazy to me. Um, so the other one I have for the AFC, Eddie, is are the Buffalo Bills the biggest loser of this AFC championship game? Because it seems like now you have a massive rivalry forming between the Bengals and the Chiefs. And seemingly, the Bills have kind of just floated away from this picture where at the beginning of the year, we were saying that they were the best team in the NFL and I, you know, possible Super Bowl champs. And now it seems everyone in the AFC is all hyped up on this Burrow-Mahomes thing. Yes and no. I think there's a lot of recency bias in terms of how dismissive the people are being of the Bills. Like, I think the Bills are a little bit behind in terms of all-round play, certainly the Chiefs, probably, possibly the Bengals. But, you know, that game, that was a game played in really weird conditions. And, for example, you know, we spoke all postseason about the Bengals offensive line and how that could be an issue for them. It wasn't an issue for them at all in the bills game because they just managed to manage to kind of establish dominance and, and, you know, get their run game going the, and I actually think Tony Romo did a pretty good job of it kind of explaining that in the game by speaking about how what's well, really different run blocking 
is kind of an offensive form of blocking. It puts you on the front foot, whereas pass blocking, you are in its in your very nature being forced backwards. And so if you aren't a cohesive unit and if everything isn't working smoothly, that's far more likely to go wrong. And in the Bills game, because they just got off to such a hot, hot start, they were able to sort of be on the front foot for the remainder of the game. I'm, I think this could be a blessing in disguise for the Bills because maybe they need to not believe their own hype to a degree. And this is a good way for them to approach next season with a little bit of that underdog mentality and reassess, kind of take an honest assessment of where they have shortcomings, where they need to strengthen, what they can do better. And maybe for Josh Allen and the Bills as a kind of whole organization and team, that could be really beneficial to them in the long run. Because they might have gone to a situation where everyone was sort of anointing them the best team in the NFL, even though they'd never even made a Super Bowl, let alone win one. And this might be the reminder of, okay, we didn't even make it to the AFC Championship game this year. We lost to the team that didn't even make the Super Bowl. And there's two other teams that we have to get by, one of whom will have won at least one Super Bowl, but possibly two. And the other one lost in a Super Bowl the year before too. So we are behind in the pecking order and we need to change maybe how we're thinking about ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I just think, you know, I think from the NFL standpoint too, I think already you're going to see a push that the AFC championship, you know, is the rubber match next year between the Bengals and the Chiefs. You know, it's already kind of playing in the cards for like a picture perfect AFC championship and the Bills are nowhere in that picture. Um, yeah, and the Burrow versus Mahomes rivalry. Yeah. And, and sometimes people... And it's unfair, like, and that's like the same thing. Like, I, Allen is right there with them. Yes. And, and it's, it's only 12 and, months ago that you had the incredible Bills-Chiefs game. Yeah. And, you know, then everyone would have said... Wow, it's it's a Allen versus Mahomes rivalry, and so I do think there it can be an overreaction from everyone to just think, "Wow, this is the Bengals and the Chiefs are just going to dominate the AFC from for the next fifteen years." Yeah. So the next one is a little, I guess, pregame, postgame. This obviously was triggering in the trash talking department this AFC championship with all the Burrow head and, and all the, we own the chiefs um, Burrow, for those who didn't see had a, a sweatshirt on for his, his outfit that he wore to the stadium said, sorry, in advance, that was like the, the logo or the brand or something like that. So it was just never stopping. And I think it finally was too much. You know, I think there's a point where, you can use it to your own advantage to hype yourself up, but then there's a point where you're really going to start to piss off that other team. And it was clear. I mean, post game, Kelsey was just off his rocker at that game, like post game. So what what triggers you a little more that Burrow gets kind of a dose of reality here, or that Kelsey kind of goes off and tells the mayor to shut your damn mouth, you jabroni? Yeah, and it wasn't just him, right? You had also. Uh, no, it wasn't. He just happens to be the one who's in front of the mic yeah. the most. Frank Clark also had, they can take their bum ass all the way back to Cincinnati. They came to the Chiefs Kingdom and their ass thumped. I'm the fucking king. Oh. <laughs> was... See the ass thumping king? Where's <laughs> <laughs> <I guess> so. <laughs> Sam? But look, I think 
Like, I don't think there's a the narrative that wow the Chiefs were extra motivated. Like this is the AFC Championship game. They, you know, I I don't think they were there was any. I don't think they were on the sideline like at 2020, being like, "We better fucking win these guy this game, or else those guys won't shut up." Now they might be saying that because it's just what else you know people say dumb things, but I don't think as if had had they been best of friends, then the Chiefs would have been on the sideline saying, "Guys, this is a close game, but whoever wins this deserves it." You know, like let's, you know, this will be a tough pill for to swallow, but. Those guys over on the other sidelines, those are good guys. So if they win, we got to be happy for them anyway. The Bengals went overboard. And like we discussed on the last podcast, it just turns them from the sort of lovable underdogs into being sort of easily, sort of easy to despise. I also think people have maybe overstated slightly. It was an isolated number of Bengals players who were the loudest when it came to the whole burrow head and stuff, particularly Eli Apple. Oh, that's it. I don't know. We can maybe get to that later, but did you see the Eli Apple fallout yeah. after that game where his mother deleted her Twitter account <laughs> five minutes after the game ended? But it's being treated as if the entire Bengals, you know, like every player was talking about this and it was a select few. I think even Joe Burrow was the shirt, the sweatshirt thing is annoying. But for the most part, Joe Burrow doesn't say that much, right? It's just his pregame outfits and his postgame cigar smoking. But it's not like he's calling other players out. And if anything, he's super complimentary whenever he talks about the Chiefs and Mahomes. So I do think people kind of tried to spin that into being maybe a little bit more than it was. I'm, But I'm postgame. The Chiefs need to cool it. They won a game 23-20 with a last-second field goal that required a penalty to put them into field goal range. And you would have thought, by the way, I mean, not even the ass-thumping quote, the way Kelsey was calling people out and crowing about, you know, how it's not Burrowhead and all that stuff. You barely beat them. And to be honest, the Bengals were the better team for probably three quarters of that game. Like the Chiefs had a very good start, and it looked like they were going to maybe run away with things. And then the Bengals found their feet and certainly in the second half were the better team. And when it got to 20 all, I thought the Bengals were going to win. Like there was every indication that they were sort of on top at that moment in time. So as much as the Bengals should have, and we both said pregame, the Bengals needed to cool it and it was too much. The chiefs now need to cool it too, because winning 23, 20 at home and then acting as if you just won in the manner in which the Eagles had done, it's, like relax, especially when you're a team whose your core components have already won a Super Bowl. Like, you know, yeah. act like you've been there before. Maybe make the comment of, hey, I guess it's not Burrow Head and maybe that will shut them up a little bit and move on. Yeah. Like don't make maybe it maybe tell the mayor to shut up. You didn't have to call him a jabroni. That the, was just uncalled. Yeah. The mayor bit yeah, the jab- <laughs> the mayor bit I at least thought was kind of amusing just because what he did yeah. was so dorky and stupid. And I yeah. at least give him credit that the mayor then came out and admitted he like jokingly admitted he should have sort of stuck to his stuck to his lane. But all the other stuff, like the ass thumping comments, that's a if 23. Hey, he's, the, he's, he's the king of ass thumping, Eddie. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you how it is. If 2320 is an ass thumping, you know, then. In fairness, though, I think both of us made the comment, uh, although it gets 
slightly reversed because Burrow had a nice pass to T. Higgins on that touchdown. But you take away that T. Higgins touchdown, and Burrow didn't have a particularly great game. He had uh, two picks and was sacked five or six times. So it was not a a, a Burrow head performance on by his standards. No, but I think with both players, you can isolate sequences where they Burrow aside from the interception in the second quarter. He had something like 150 yards in the second quarter alone, which dragged them back into the game. Like that was, you have to give him credit there. And the kind of the moments when that game could have slipped away from the Bengals, he did step up. He made some key throws. And I mean, this is the problem always with professional sport or, or the NFL, right? You could, If one or two things go the other way, it changes a decent performance into a terrible one or a decent performance into an extraordinary one. You know, like, the fourth down conversion or the or the Higgins touchdown if neither if if either receiver just drops the ball on challenging catches then the analysis of Burrow's performance is radically different and but and the same with Mahomes Mahomes wasn't impressive for the majority of that game he didn't have the interceptions he didn't have the one bizarre fumble which just looked as if he sort of short-circuited that was just weird in the middle of a play <laughs> even the way like he was like on one foot too it's like really, he was on one foot on the wrong foot it's trying the kind to throw of thing, it it was just really weird if you were playing madden and that happened to you people like a glitch people would be like throwing their controllers at the screen and telling ea how it's unrealistic now i'm not saying that ea should start incorporating that into the gameplay but it was just bizarre like it was so weird how it unfolded but yeah, I mean, Mahomes wasn't – They the Chiefs started really well. And I I did comment to the people – Almost the same thing happened from, like, the last championship yeah. where it was all Chiefs first half and then the Bengals adjusted. I did make the comment to the people I was with in the bar that when they were so dominant on those first couple of drives and they were only six points up at the end of it, it was like, you might regret because you're probably not going to be that dominant for four quarters. So to be have a period of time when you are that much on top in any sport, you have to kind of drive home that dominance and you have to be scoring points. And that yeah. was the thing. It just felt like, well, the Bengals, we- the Bengals are still in this because all it takes is a touchdown and they're winning. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we've talked about this for years now, it feels like with the Chiefs. That if there's one, I think it's even worse than their defense sometimes being potentially a top five worst defense. It's the fact that they get a lot of these red zone opportunities and don't capitalize on them. And in, like you're, you're exactly right. In big games like this, every point matters. And, you know, if at that point they're up 21 to three going in that second quarter, that's a that's that's almost a a game over scenario where they can just start to almost run out the clock at that point, but they're up 13 to three, you know, it's a whole different game. 13 to three is nothing. Yeah, no. And they're lucky. I mean, the, the Bengals then stalled in the red zone themselves. So, you know, there were, there were, there was the opportunity for the Bengals to actually, they got themselves in a position to take the lead after that. And then they also kind of made a hash of their clock management at the end of the first half. Ironically, after, talking about how first half timeouts don't really matter all that much to me it wasn't even their time their timeout usage was poor because they did it to save a handful of seconds at a time when they didn't need to do it 
but just in general, they kind of, you know, they have to kick a field goal on third down at the end of the first half because you needed maybe two or three seconds more to be able to re- allow yourself to run a play. That was just poor clock management. Yeah. And then I'll kind of use this one to transition back into the other game, but it applies for both. So last year we saw both number one seeds not advance to the Super Bowl. And this year in the NFL in the regular season, we saw that there was really not much of a statistical advantage of being the home team. But here we see both one seeds, both home teams win. Do you think home field advantage played any role in those wins? Probably. Refereeing aside of not being able to blow your whistle and run out and stop a third down play call. Yeah, I mean, look, you could say that (laughs) officials might be influenced by home crowds, so that might have played a part in the fact that it feels as if both home teams got the benefit of the doubt on the officiating, and maybe that's a slight home field advantage, which I think officials would always deny, but it seems impossible to me to not be influenced by the reaction of a crowd, like to hear tens of thousands of people scream for a, you know, a flag to be thrown and to not have that sometimes just make you twitch a little bit of like, Oh, maybe it was, did I miss something? Oh, I better throw it. Like that has to happen from time to time, no matter how good you are. So there's that element in both games. You also saw some instances of the, of the road team struggling to communicate with the noise. I think in particular that really had an influence on the Niners with Josh Johnson, just because, when you're then throwing in another quarterback who's not as comfortable with everything yeah. and then he's struggling to communicate, like you're just compounding, you know, it's an exponential impact on, on how difficult it is for you to run your offense. But I don't I, know. I, I think, I think Arrowhead was pretty freaking loud. I, I think it, it definitely helped them a little bit on defense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, there's, I'm sure there's, and you know, there's the whole advantage of how you get to prepare and sleep in your own bed and, you know, all that stuff and not travel and little things that just make it that little bit easier to, to be at your very sure, best. Help Frank Clark. Yeah. He was ass thumping the night before in his own bed. And <laughs> he got to ass thump that same night in his own bed too. And that's why they call him the, the, the king, the Kansas city king of ass thumping. The KCK of ass stuff. I can see him <laughs> 10 years from now on a mattress commercial. Just talking <laughs> like a local, local TV station. Just talking about like, I'm Frank Clark. You might know me better as the Kansas City ass thumping king. And I'm here to endorse, you know, Joe Schmo's mattresses, the softest mattresses in the, in the county. So going back then to the Eagles Niners. Are the Eagles still overrated? And I say this with the fact that in the regular season, they had a very easy schedule and very easy opponents where you still didn't know going into the playoffs, is this actually as good of a team as they look on paper? They then go into the playoffs and they face a Giants team, which you can say what you want about the Giants improving, and I think they improved greatly, but they are not of a caliber team to have been anywhere near sniffing a Super Bowl. And then you end up playing a Niners team that by the first quarter is on to either a quarterback with no arm or or potentially Christian McCaffrey at quarterback. So 
you know, do we still really know if they're a Super Bowl capable team? No, and we won't know for two weeks because yeah, it's difficult. You know, their their playoff wins, whilst they've both been convincing, they don't. It's, you know, it's games you would expect the top half of the NFL to win, so it doesn't really add anything to their sort of best team in the NFL candidacy or resume. I, I mean, they're averaging 34 points in the postseason right now, and I still don't know if that offense is good. No, I mean, and, that, it, and that's crazy to say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't look that good against the Niners. Like, it really did feel, and I'm sure there will be people listening to this who are upset by it and think that it's a Niners bias or whatever, in, in my case, obviously not in yours. But it felt like, you know, had that been a close game, the Niners had everything they needed defensively to try and get stops to, to slow down that offense. And they weren't going to, you know, hold them to 14 points, but, you know, to, to not, it wasn't going to, it's not like the Eagles could just move the ball at will. And yeah, this is going to be the test because this Chiefs defense isn't anything spectacular. Maybe from a pass rush perspective, they'll be able to get some pressure, but then that kind of plays into the Eagles' hands at times. So it's going to be a case of, like, if they beat the Chiefs, and even then, people will probably say if Mahomes can milk this injury for another couple of weeks, even then people will be like, okay, so you beat like a okay Giants team. You beat the fourth string slash fifth string Niners quarterback. And then you beat a uh, hobbled Patrick Mahomes. Like what a spectacular Super Bowl run <laughs> that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't still fully buy it. But they're two points favorites for the Super Bowl. So yeah. and they've let up and what's great like here's what's crazy. They're averaging thirty points, thirty-four points a game in the postseason scoring, and they're averaging seven point seven points allowed. That is an insane, insane statistic on both ends. And for one team is crazy. But again, I don't know how much I buy that their defense is that spectacular. I know all season they put up all these stats, but they put up against these stats against a lot of inferior teams, you know, and, and again, like, Oh my God, you held Josh Johnson to whatever, how many yards, who cares? Yeah. The giants could have done that. Oh yeah. Oh no. I think any playoff team, any of the teams that made the playoffs would have beaten the Niners yesterday. Once Purdy was out, like every single one of them, because they would have, it was a race at that point, even if you'd been seven, zero down, it would have been a race to 21, and once we get to 21, this game's over. You know, like, there is no way they were going to score multiple touchdowns. So then I think at that moment in time, every single team would have been favorites. As for, I mean, look, it's the weird thing, right? If they if they go out and beat the Chiefs by, let's say, they by 21 points, then as much as you can doubt their season and this playoff run in the future without all of that context, it will look like arguably the most dominant playoff performances yeah. of all time. You're like, Oh my God, they beat the Cowboys. You know, they're, they're beating teams. They beat every team by, you know, three scores or more or whatever. Like it would, they would, you'll have people 20 years from now being saying, were the 2022, 23 Eagles, one of the best teams in the history of the NFL. 
we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's the nice thing, I guess. It gets to be put to the test. And it gets to be put to a to test against the team that probably feels right. Ultimately, I think these are probably the two best teams. Over the course of the season, these were probably the two best teams in the NFL. So the Super Bowl matchup feels right. And then on top of it, if you want to try and prove your legitimacy as being a really good team, then beating the Chiefs feels like the right team to have to beat because you've got a lot of experience in the key areas there. They've previously won a Super Bowl. They've had, they've been a dominant team in the NFL within the recent past. So this feels, feels like the right team for them to test themselves against. Yeah. And when you, when, if you, when they go back in the history books, if the Eagles were to win, I mean, going into the Super Bowl, the Chiefs have a 10 point differential. The Eagles have a 55 point differential going into the Super Bowl. And if they were to beat the Chiefs by like 10, say, then in three games, they will have had a 65 point differential, which is insane to think about in three playoff games. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see for that. I know. An incident that got you really worked up this weekend was oh god, this LeBron James and the the no call uh, at the end of the Celtics Lakers game. For those who, if you're not a, I mean, if you've, it would have been hard to have missed if you're in the U.S. because it's been covered as if this was the game seven of the NBA Finals. But if you're, yeah, because of the reaction of the six year old involved. <laughs> if you're not, it was a tied game. LeBron James has what looks like a, a fairly easy layup to effectively win the game, given the time situation, and uh, is certainly fouled. Allegedly. He's definitely fouled. There's <laughs> no, no, he's fouled for sure. There's no call, and he then proceeds to lose his mind, jump to the floor, slap the floor. Uh, Patrick Beverly, his teammate, gets a camera from one of the – like. <laughs> I kind of, an, it's kind of an amusing little bit of like trolling. Like I got to give him points for creativity, but it's such an insane yeah. reaction. Took the, took the camera onto the court to show one of the officials to like show the still frames of clearly contact. The thing that bothers me the most about it, I know that you're bothered because of uh, just the overall reaction. It's a, it's a regular season game in January. If that had been a playoff game, like if the Lakers are eliminated from the playoffs because of that, I can get the reaction. But I go back and change the results. <laughs> but I don't understand why he's so worked up in a game at the end of January. I don't get why all of his teammates are, and I don't get why even like even if you want to give him, well, I I'll defend him before I mean, you because I, I know you you dislike ahead. it more. His reaction in the moment's one thing, but he then went on like he's had Twitter rants. Uh, his teammates have had Twitter rants. Yeah, uh, you got people criticizing the refs how they've started. They've got to be fined for their mistakes. You know, talking about officiating in the NFL. You know, now with NBA players losing it over it, it just seems like such an overreaction to a, a game at the end of the season. I know the Lakers are fighting for their playoff spot, but probably at the end of the regular season, this game will be meaningless to both teams. Yeah. I mean, to me, that overreaction is an indication of how far LeBron has kind of dropped 
where now he's on a team, like you just said, that is fighting for playoff spots. I mean, you re- rewind 10 years ago, he's probably on a team that is already in the playoffs at this point in the year and are starting to rest to get ready for the playoffs. And now he's on a team where he hasn't won in a significant amount of time and he hasn't done big things in a, a, a very long time. And, you know, this is like, this should be pointless, but where he's kind of dropping right now, like this, this is meaningful to him at this time, because even like a game winner, when was the last time LeBron had like a game winner like that? I don't know. He's, he's having a pretty spectacular season. So he's I'm, having a good season this season. He's no, having a good season this year. It's not, it's not a good season. It is a all time great historical season. So we do have to, cause we're going to get NBA. Neither of us are real NBA guys. Like I, I watch yeah. it a fair amount, but I'm not in sort of in the weeds in the NBA, but we're going to have people listening who are uh, going to lose their minds. If you're like, he's not having a, he's having a, one, arguably one of his best seasons of all time, given the context of the situation. Yeah. But the, and then the tantrum itself is just insane. If, if an eight-year-old did that in an AAU game, I would say that that kid has issues and his parents need to teach him how to act <laughs> that is and, be, and, and, and be sportsmanship. That is, and then, that is, I, I mean, he literally flails to the ground on all fours and is like beating the ground. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with it's you? It's an interesting point because if my child behaved like that... I would be. You'd rip him off the I'd court. Be you'd never him let him play again, and, and then he wouldn't be your son the next day. <laughs> but hey, he did take to Twitter, and he did say that one hurt big time. I don't understand. That was his tweet. <laughs> Speaking of big, how many times yeah. did Tony Romo say, "There's a big play here, Jim"? Yeah, <laughs> like every play is a big play. Enough, Tony. Tony Romo, for a guy who burst onto the scene and kind of changed the way NFL games were being called and was a breath of fresh air in those first couple of seasons, I think there are fewer examples of commentators, announcers, whatever word you want to use for them, becoming slightly, well, definitely more annoying and sort of less uh, interesting as in such a short space of time. Like a couple of years ago, I loved when Tony Romo was calling a game. He added something to it. You're getting great insights. And now he's just, it's like he's a caricature of himself. And it is just him saying, I don't know about that, Jim. Oh, a big, big play coming up here. It's like, yeah, we get it. It's the fourth quarter in a tied game. Like, I, I, I think we all know it's a big play. Like, that's you, yeah. you excitedly <laughs> saying it and then laughing. And then, I mean, most of it, it's like having a child kind of commentate on a game he's just like really happy he's really the anticipation for the upcoming plays is huge and then when there's a big play like when there's a good play he's just really happy to have witnessed a good play but he doesn't criticize teams which i think that's where i get frustrated with nfl announcers if they won't if their analysis of the game won't involve saying someone did something wrong or that something was bad and Tony Romo clearly just doesn't want to, he wants to be everyone's friend, I'm assuming. And so he'll compliment people and talk about how great something was, but he never really, really says, no, he never goes, yeah. well, that was a huge mistake from Patrick, you know, by Patrick Mahomes or whatever. It's just, it's just like, oh, yeah. oh boy, that happened. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> and then move on. That's a big play, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and also from the weekend, I guess we can. It's the worst thing. Novak Djokovic. His procession through the Australian Open wrapped up on Sunday when he beat Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets. Probably now on his way to securing his legacy as the greatest tennis player of all time. I mean, he is undoubtedly, barring something extraordinary happening, going to retire with the most Grand Slam wins. And so this three-way neck-and-neck race that we'd had for a while between him, Federer, and Nadal. A menage a trois, you might call it. Yeah, you might. <laughs> Federer is out of the way, obviously, having retired. Nadal is so so affected by injuries. I think the best case scenario for Nadal is one more run at Roland Garros in May and a French Open win, and then maybe call it quits there and go out in the best way possible. But Djokovic should be able to, there's every indication, be able to maintain this form for a couple of more years. And then you'd have to set the over-under on Grand Slam. If he plays for three more seasons, the over-under on Grand Slam wins for him is three and a half. And I think everyone would yeah. take the over. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just, he might, because he might get two more this year alone. As we discussed on the last episode, he might even get three, although, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super impressive. And like you said, I mean, without anyone really stepping up to kind of start replacing some of these legends, he could just run through it for the next few years. I mean, you saw what might be his number one younger competitor, and he just bulldozed through him in the finals. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. And I think the thing that Djokovic is now developing, you know, Nadal's had it on clay for almost his whole career, but that sense of being almost unbeatable. And Djokovic is approaching that sort of status on grass and hard court, which is, you know, I'm not saying that's harder to do, but those are obviously certainly in the hard court seasons much longer than the clay court season. And you have, you know, there's a handful of clay court specialists who really get to the top of the game. So it's a, it's a harder thing to achieve. And I just think there's a mental obstacle to beating Djokovic now that's really tough to overcome. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I guess with that, I mean, we can wrap it up for this podcast and then we have ample time in our next one to discuss uh, The Last of Us, episode three, a very... Uh, Talking about uh, ass thumping. <laughs> different. Wow. Wow. Oh, boy. The views of some, not of all. Uh, yeah. A, a very, this let's put it this way this wasn't in the video game <laughs> no for those who haven't seen the episode no spoilers we'll give you a, some more time to, to watch it was a side mission that sam desperately craved <laughs> jesus yeah all right yeah next episode next episode will be a, a focus yeah now that we've uh ripped into sam a little more i guess we'll uh, talk to you later see ya see ya